This is Asked and Answered. Questions. With Tom Opferman and Steelers Digest editor Bob Labriola. Labs, if you were DJing Steelers practice, what kind of music do you think you would play? <laughs> A little classic contemporary, maybe some soft rock? What do you think? Heavy metal? What's, what's Labs spinning if he's the DJ? Funeral dirge. <laughs> That's probably appropriate based on the current state of things right now with the team. I mean, could you believe, you know, music, I, I, you know, again, Mike Tomlin, he is, he is, uh, he doesn't try to be, but he is hysterical at press conferences sometimes. Yeah. There was the never say never, but never to the uh, college coaching thing. And then I liked yesterday was he said, uh, I'm the coach, uh, uh, Chase Claypool is a receiver, and I think that division of labor is going to stay as it is or however he he put it and he really had to see his face when he was saying it yeah. to get the full yeah i don't think tomlin was very happy about what chase had to say <laughs> with no. the practice regimen that's been going <laughs> on with the steelers no. we got a lot of questions from steelers nation to dive into today so let's get right to it michael Fallock from plano texas asks i'm noticing that the steelers are making several practice squad moves do the Steelers help them out with living expenses? One week, they're in Pittsburgh. Then a little later, they might be on the Jaguars practice squad. Then maybe some other team's practice squad. Where do they live? Or do they have to spring for a hotel on a practice squad salary? Um, you know, Michael, you're kind of making practice squad salary sound like $20 an hour. <laughs> minimum wage work. Minimum wage uh, and no tips on this <laughs> minimum wage. Um, you know, players with minimal service in the NFL – make at least $9,200 per week, per week on a practice squad. Uh, players with even a little bit of tenure earning $14,000 per week. Um, so if a player is on the Steelers practice squad one week, the Jaguars practice squad another week, and then uh, some other teams practice squad the week after that, he has earned $27,600 for those three weeks. Mm, not bad. So um, – you know, it's not like that. You know, they're having to stay. You know, live under a bridge or something, <laughs> in a refrigerator box or whatever. And so, uh, also for the Steelers, uh, foods provided at the UPMC Rooney Sports Complex uh, daily for players, um, three meals a day. If you know you're willing to get up early enough when breakfast is served, uh, there's lunch and there's always dinner available, even when, on days when practice might end. Um, you know, late afternoon, four, five o'clock, or whatever. So, um, you know, I don't know, Tom. Uh, Twenty-seven thousand six hundred dollars. Think you could spring for a hotel room on a practice squad salary? Maybe for a night or two. I don't <laughs> know. It, things would get a little tight for me if I only made that much. Sheesh. Doubling me up just playing on the practice squad. <laughs> Warren L. Fry from Lakeland, Florida. The more I watch, the more I become concerned with center Kendrick Green. I understand he is a rookie and makes rookie mistakes. I can live with the growing process in that regard. The bigger issue I am having with him is the number of times he is getting bull rushed back into the pocket. Do you think an offseason with an opportunity to increase strength and mass will eventually solve this issue? Well, I think we're going to find out uh, because I do believe, and I don't disagree you know, with, with Warren on uh, his assessment of Kendrick Green's issues dealing with bull rushes. Right. I mean, we've seen him... Uh, as Craig Wolfley would say, uh, on roller skates, getting pushed into the backfield. Uh, but I do believe also that um, the Steelers like enough different things about what Kendrick Green brings to the uh, position, his ability to run, 
his athletic ability. I mean, you will see, uh, you'll see Kendrick Green on occasion uh, on the second level, as they say, sometimes down the field, uh, leading Najee Harris on a few occasions that this has happened. Um, and, you know, he makes blocks in space. He's athletic. And, and he's a finisher, too. He has a nasty streak. So I think some of those kinds of things are going to buy him a little bit of time uh, to get himself stronger. I don't know necessarily bigger if that's going to be necessary or not, but uh, uh, also hone some technique that will allow him to anchor more uh, consistently. So I don't think that Kendrick Green is going to be you know, a one-year experiment at center and then they're going to cut ties with Oh, them. no, they, they absolutely shouldn't. I mean, I, I think some of Steelers Nation got a little too far out in front of Kendrick Green here. Oh, number 53 coming right in for Pounce. It's a third-round pick. I mean, the pedigree wasn't exactly like Pounce's pedigree was when he came well, from Florida. Well, and Kendrick Green was a guard in um Another college. great point. Yeah. trying to make a position change right now. Right. So give him a little bit of time to get acclimated. Enzo Mamarella from Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario, Canada. It looked like Zach Banner was getting close to getting back on the field earlier this season, but haven't heard anything about him since. Any idea what's going on with him? Well, Zach Banner's been active for the last two games, those against the Chargers and the Bengals. And with Mike Tomlin talking about changes for Sunday against the Ravens and um, you know the offensive line being uh, a possible area where those could happen, I anticipate uh, Banner being in uniform for that game as well now. Uh, as late as the start of the game in Cincinnati, um, my perception of Zach Banner was that the Steelers coaches saw him as the number three tackle um, behind starters Chuksakor for and rookie Dan Moore. So on game days, you know you only have seven guys with helmets. Uh, so you have your five starting offensive linemen, B.J. Finney, who is your backup uh, at all interior positions including center. You've got to have a backup center. Right. And they also typically have Joe Haig in a helmet because he can play either tackle, and we've also seen him line up at guard. Uh, that doesn't mean he's better than Zach Banner. It just means he's more versatile. Right. And so that's how he was getting a helmet and Zach Banner was not. So um, if something happens against the Ravens and um, in terms of changes and Zach Banner is put into the starting lineup – and he performs well, uh, I would imagine that you know, he would hold on to that job for a while. Um, if he doesn't get put into the lineup uh, and things don't disintegrate, you know, he might end up being relegated as the third offensive tackle for the rest of this season. And they've been using him a little bit in jumbo packages lately right. too, so maybe you see a little bit more of that happen. But if he's not getting a helmet on game day – can't use him in the jumbo well, package. Uh, yeah, but I think, uh, you know, no Kevin Dotson changes things. Changes yeah. things, yeah, in Banner's favor. Brian Rodwich from Jeffersontown, Virginia asks, have you noticed a lack of spark with Najee Harris in recent weeks? I won't question his talent, but he seems to be playing more tentatively the last few weeks. Can that be attributed to an injury, or is it a lack of confidence in the blocking in front of him? Ben Roethlisberger made a comment after the Bengals game that seemed to indicate he didn't think Najee should be in the game near the end. Okay, well, I'm going to start with the last thing first because uh, Ben talked about that during his media availability a couple of days ago. You know, that was just 
um, the way Ben described it himself, that was just a way of maybe, you know, getting Najee Harris a little bit of rest uh, in a game that was out of hand, uh, in a game that when the Steelers had the ball, they were going to have to be throwing the ball all the time anyway. And let's be honest here, Brian, uh, Najee Harris gets the snot beat out of him every every, every game. Time he every game. Every uh, game. Because, you know, the offensive line isn't exactly great, and the Steelers also have no other running backs, you know, capable of attempting to share the load in terms of doing it on an equal level of ability as Najee Harris. Harris never misses practice. He hasn't missed a game. He plays 83% of the offensive snaps this season, and he's getting gang-tackled, you know, on on every every time he touches the ball. I mean, Mike Pursuta uh, referenced a goal-line situation where the way he described it was Najee Harris got the handoff, and it had to be Jim Brown to just get back to the line <laughs> of scrimmage. So It happens a lot, it seems, there's, this There's year. those things. And let me just point out something else. In the game against the Bengals, when Ben Roethlisberger threw that first interception, the one Eli Apple uh, made, and then ran it down to the Steelers' five-yard line. Najee Harris was, uh, I won't say down the field, but in the flat on the far other side. He ran all the way across the field and made the tackle of Eli Apple at the five-yard line to keep him out of the end zone. The Steelers' defense then came out and held the Bengals to three points. So Najee Harris, a running back, um, saved four who, points. Um, a lack of spark, according to Brian, <laughs> ran all the way across the field, made a tackle, and saved the Steelers four points in a game they would lose by 31. So um, Najee Harris is okay with me. Are you a believer in the the rookie wall too? That some of these guys can hit. You know, it's a shorter season in college. Najee's including the preseason, played 15 NFL games now. You only play 14 at Alabama. Maybe that's starting to creep up on him as well? Yeah, uh, but, I mean, that's a possibility. But, you know, I've, I've seen Najee Harris practice, uh, and I remember in the spring and early summer before training camp even, uh, Steelers running backs coach Eddie Faulkner had to go and tell him, go home. Slow down a bit. Go yeah. home. We're done for today. Come back tomorrow go home so this guy is that's what you want from your players absolutely uh, and like i said he's okay in my book donnie brown from van buren maine Najee harris has shown everyone why the steelers used a first round pick to get him how do other notable steelers rookie running backs compare in stats though or, or excuse me in stats through their first 10 games jerome bettis wasn't drafted by the steelers but he is always on the list okay um Najee harris uh, with the game, again, I think it was a game against the Bengals, uh, became the first, no, 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 the game against the Chargers because that was the 10th game that yes. made the Steelers 5-4-1. and one. Yes. Uh, after the game against the Chargers, Najee Harris became the first running back in Steelers franchise history uh, to have uh, more or a thousand, to have a thousand or more yards from scrimmage in his first 10 L NFL games. Uh, that's 685 yards rushing, 337 yards receiving, 1,022 total yards from scrimmage. Um, I'll just use Franco Harris because he is arguably uh, the best running back in franchise history right. because despite what Donnie Brown thinks, uh, Jerome Bettis does not count. He came to the Steelers really? as, sure as a fourth-year pro. <laughs> so 
trying a little more experience maybe under the belt. Yeah, as 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 I would say, it's like comparing ripe apples to green apples. <laughs> um, but Franco Harris in his first ten games of his rookie season, he had eighty eight hundred and forty one yards from scrimmage, seven hundred and thirty yards rushing, and hundred and eleven yards receiving. So statistically, I'm not saying Najee Harris is better than Franco Harris or will end up being better than Franco Harris, but because of the question that was posed, uh, Najee Harris is the first running back in franchise history to have a thousand or more yards from scrimmage in his first ten NFL games. Trey Hewitt from New Braunfels, Texas, keeps the Najee Harris theme rolling by asking, if Najee Harris had to miss a game or games, who would take over for him at running back, Benny Snell or Anthony McFarland Jr.? Um, I'm, I'm, my guess, and that's this is what this is. Uh, it would be that it would be some sort of running back by committee situation because I don't think either Anthony McFarland Jr. or Benny Snell uh, is in the same category even uh, as Najee Harris. Uh, Kalen Balazs also has been seeing some playing time lately when uh, Najee Harris gets a rest. And that's, to me, one of the unfortunate situations of the Steelers roster. There is no clear-cut number two running back. Greg Parsons from Mount Laurel, New Jersey. In the game against the Bengals, the defense was terrible, the offense was terrible, and the play calling slash decision making was terrible. The Steelers are not putting a good product on the field lately. If things continue this way for the rest of the season, where do you think the changes will be made? Head coach, coaching staff, players, or all of the above? Um, you know, it, it's the, the Steelers' issues, I believe, this year has to do with their roster. It started, you know, when the off season began, when they were a million or a hundred million dollars over the salary cap, right. and had to cut people, and Ben took less money, yeah. restructure, and all that kind of stuff. So um, they kind of went into this year with a roster that lost some significant players and lost some significant depth, and so they couldn't afford any injuries, and they've had a bunch, and so. For me, the first thing that would have to happen uh, at the end of this season would be an upgrade of the roster. And I think that's really the only reasonable thing, especially the head coach. I mean, get that out of here. They're 5-5-1 five, five, and one right now with that kind of trouble with that roster. Yeah. Who do you uh, think you know, I, I, And, and here's, here's another reality. I mean, every time I defend Mike Tomlin, I'm a, I'm a homer. Of course. But let me just, Naturally. Let me just point this out. Um, in April, I think it was April 15th or something like that the Steelers signed Mike Tomlin to a three-year extension which means he's bound to the team through 2024 I don't think you sign the guy to a three-year extension and then fire him uh, less than a calendar year later I mean that's doesn't that's, seem like good business no and it's not <laughs> definitely not the way the Rooney family has ever done business of course and so um, I, I don't I don't think there's going to be any change at the head coaching spot uh, nor do I think that one should be made. Completely agree with that. John Thompson from Conneaut, Ohio asks, after the loss to the Bengals it is apparent that the Steelers have a lengthy list of needs to address in the offseason. I believe inside linebacker and trench players on both sides of the ball should be at the top of that list. What do you think? Well, as I sit here with my uh, compatriot Tom doing this podcast um to me, the weakest area on the team is the defensive line. Right. Uh, and I, I do believe that also impacts, you know, some of the other units on defense. 
uh, most notably the um, inside linebackers. And so uh, if, if it were up to me, which it is not, my first-round pick would be a defensive lineman, best defensive lineman you can get. And uh, because here's something else, you know, when the Steelers acquired Joe Schobert in that trade in mid to late August, one of the first things he said when his first availability with the media was, and Schobert had played with the Browns and then with Jacksonville the year that the Browns finally uh, were not awful. Um, so he played for a team that was 0-16 and 1-15. And, <laughs> and w- one of the first things he said was how excited he was to be, to be able to get a chance to play behind the Steelers' defensive line. You think he feels that way now? Well, injury bug kind of reared its ugly, ugly head when it came to that unit. So, you know, you, you say you take a first-round pick, and I, I love it. I would, too. But that line could all of a sudden go from a weakness to a strength real fast if you get that first-round pick and guys like Tua and Alu-Alu come back healthy next year. So I don't think it's dire straits just for the future, just for this year it is, though. Well, I mean, let me let me say this. Um, Tyson Alu-Alu signed a one-year deal. So you got to sign him again. Got to sign him again. Got to assume he'd be cheaper, though, because of the yeah, injury. Yeah, but he's also coming off an injury. 33. Um, and then uh, Stephon Tuitt, you know, I – I hope for the best for him. Just don't know. Just don't know. Just don't know. Robert Foster from Riverview, Florida asks, how many top 10 draft picks have the Browns, Bengals, and Ravens had in the last 10 years, and how many top 10 picks have the Steelers had in those same 10 years? Well, he made you go to Google, huh? (laughs) He labs Google this stuff for me. No, I just just hired my research assistant. (laughs) Um, Okay, 10 years, uh, just to put numbers on that, the last 10 years would be the drafts starting in 2012 and ending in 2021. Uh, the Ravens drafted in the top 10 in the first round once. 2016, sixth overall, left tackle Ronnie Stanley was their pick. The Bengals, three picks in the top 10 over that span. Ninth overall in 2017, they uh, swung and missed with receiver John Ross. First overall in 2020 when they chose Joe Burrow, who was going to be a thorn in the Steelers' side throughout his career the Bengals uh, he's he's better in my mind than Trevor Lawrence oh I don't just think so, right now so. I don't think there's any question no I'm I'm talking about overall grand scheme yeah of things I think too. he will be better um, and then uh, fifth overall 2021 when they took Jamar Chase who again seems to be pretty back, good. back to the thorn in the Steelers side theme uh, he's going to be part of that too the Browns. <laughs> These guys. Top 10 seven times. Third overall, 2012, running back Trent Richardson. Ugh. Swing and a miss. Sixth overall in 2013, outside linebacker Barkevius Mingo. Swing and a Ugh. miss. Eighth overall in 2014, cornerback Justin Gilbert. Ugh. Swing and a miss. First overall in 2017, Miles Garrett. Hey, they got one. Fourth overall in 2018, cornerback Denzel Ward. Another one, guy gets hurt a little too much, but yes. But at least talented. Yes, very good player. First overall in 2018, Baker Mayfield. And that's interesting, I think, for the Browns right now. Um, the, uh, The Browns fans do not like him. I mean, I don't know why particularly. I mean, I don't follow it that closely, but he does not seem to be as popular of a player on a team that finally made the playoffs last year and won a, won game, a game against that, their arch rival in would, their arch rival's house. Right. So, but anyway, um, the, the Browns have a 
are going to have an interesting um, decision to make uh, on Baker Mayfield very soon that's going to cost them a lot of money, even more than it would cost you to get a hotel room on a practice squad salary. <laughs> nice. Um, Call and, back. Then, and then 10th overall in 2021 uh, when they picked uh, offensive tackle Jedrick Willis. Uh, the jury's still out on him. Right. The Steelers have drafted once in the top 10, 10th overall when they traded up 10 spots to pick Devin Bush in 2019. Jury's still out on him too. But yeah, I mean, let me say this. I, I'm not going to argue that he is not playing well this year. I'm not. Uh, it's just – but um, there, there were no complaints about this guy when he was a rookie. I mean, he's, he played in all 16 games. He started 15. He was over 95% of the defensive snaps for the whole year. He had sacks. He had interceptions, yep. forced fumbles, fumble recovery, scored a defensive touchdown. Um, you know, do you think maybe – Having the knee injury kind of set him back a little bit. And, um, you know, we're, I, I, I think one, one of the things, and I remember uh, a player telling me this, that in an offseason when you have to rehabilitate an injury instead of just preparing your body for the upcoming season, it's a tremendous difference and really sets you back. So this is a, a young player. He's inexperienced with this kind of stuff. So I want to see Devin Bush. Uh, hopefully he will be able to finish this season and go into the offseason without having to do any major rehab, watch him prepare, and then see how he plays next year. And then maybe all the people who want to uh, label him a bust will either be on the road to being correct or I'll never hear from them again because they're the same people that told me two things. Cut Bud Dupree, and why are the Steelers giving Cam Hayward that big contract Ugh. after he's 30 years old? That last one there, yikes. Yeah. I would not want to admit being the guy that said that <laughs> oh, no. at all. A guy? No, there were plenty of people. That's a, that was a plural. Come on, Steelers Nation. You're better than that. But let's hold off on judgment until after the 2022 season. And contract-wise, it works out. He'll right. be entering his fourth year next year. Yeah. Don't, need to, don't need to pick up that fifth-year option until you see how he plays in the fourth year. Right. But – no reason to move on from Devin Bush just yet. And finally, Tony Maggio from Weymouth, Ma Massachusetts asks, it is evident there is a serious problem with the Steelers. The standard is the example that the team of the 1970s set. This team is not meeting the standard that the city of Pittsburgh and its fans around the world expect. Do you think it's time for the city and Steelers fans to put extreme pressure on ownership? We as Steelers Nation expect the entire coaching staff to be replaced at the end of the year. As a card-carrying member of Steelers Nation, I'm going to say I don't, I don't co-sign that. I don't want the um, coaching staff. You all know, of them gone. this this would be comical uh, if it wasn't so typical. I mean, this what we expect, what we demand. Uh, <laughs> You've been the most consistent football team in the history of the league. Well. Um, well, at least since in the Super Bowl era, right? Say that. We, we won't go back to when they were the Pirates. No, we'll never talk about <laughs> that ever again. Um, but you know, Tony, you expect the Steelers to consistently meet the standards set by the 1970s teams. Those are the teams that represented the most dominant dynasty in the modern era of professional football. They won four championships in six seasons, sent 13 people to Canton, 10 players the team president, the head coach, and the top scout. 
all of them are now enshrined in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, and that's what you expect. If you don't get what you expect, your plan is to, quote, put extreme pressure on ownership. Good idea. Good luck with that. You know, Don Quixote had a, be- a better chance at the windmill. Um, it's, it's, not a, it's not a democracy. You don't get a vote. And judging the fact that you're from Massachusetts, Tony, I would imagine that um, you watch the games on TV. So, um, you know, keep watching or don't. Your choice. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of Asked and Answered. Labs and I are going to go sharpen our you know pitchforks to head down to the south side <laughs> to start oh, demanding I... the mutiny and the removal of the Roonies from this ownership position, absorb it into the city. The city will own the team as this conglomerate where we'll all get a vote and an equal say on what they should do. That'll work perfectly. So that's what we're on our way to do now. But thanks again for giving us a listen. Always appreciate that. For Bob Labriola, I'm Tom Offerman, and we will talk to you guys on another edition next week.